Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 116 of Yoga Land. Today, I'm joined by my friend Claire Missingham. Claire, as you may know, was on episode 13, and we go way back from when she was on the cover of Yoga Journal. Claire is a renowned yoga teacher. She's based in London. She's been teaching for nearly 20 years and doing yoga much longer than that. And she also has a new podcast called Radiantly Alive. So I very much encourage you to go over and listen to it. Claire is so smart and so creative and just has a really deep wisdom background that she draws from. The first episode of her podcast is with her old friend from the Spice Girls, Melanie Chisholm. So it's really fun to listen to. Today, Claire and I talk about her experience with having an autoimmune disease. So obviously I don't see Claire as often as as I would like, but I see her on social media and I noticed she'd started posting about coping with lupus. So I wanted to ask her how she's navigated that, the treatments she's incorporated, the natural treatments she's, she's figured out for herself, how it's affected her yoga practice and what she's drawn from in her yoga practice to get through it. And of course, as I said, she's so super sharp. So she's researched things to the hilt and has figured out a protocol that really works for her. It's obviously not medical advice. We're not doctors, but it's just kind of fascinating to hear about her journey. We get into some of the adaptogenic herbs that she uses which I'm pretty fascinated by. I've been taking one of them for the past few months and I wanted to hear more about that. And also as a side note, if you would like to hear a specific episode with a naturopath or an Ayurvedic doctor about adaptogenic herbs, will you let me know? It's something I've thought about and tossed around in my head and a little cheer from the audience would push me forward on that. Before we get to the interview, I want to just say thank you to all of you who are still writing iTunes reviews for the podcast. They still do make a difference, especially because in the past few months, it feels like there are just the the onslaught of new podcasts is a bit overwhelming. And it may just be me doing this for two years, week in and week out talking. I just constantly feel like there is more that I would like to be doing, more editorial research, figuring out a studio space so the sound could be a little bit better or being able to meet more people in person in an actual studio space. And there are lots of podcasts where people do seasons and then they take a little break for themselves and they, you know, do their other work to make some money because this is really very much a passion project for all of us. Even if we do have sponsors, it doesn't, it barely covers the cost. So I have thought about that of doing seasons and giving myself a little break. And I may do that, but I am also very old school and I truly believe in the discipline and the momentum of publishing weekly. So we'll see. So the point of that little aside is just to say that if you do leave reviews, it just continues to keep me in at least the top 200 of health or self-help, those categories, and more people will find the podcast. So... Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Enjoy the interview with Claire. So Claire, I know from just following you on social media, my dear, that you were diagnosed with lupus fairly recently. So how did you get the diagnosis and how long ago was it? The original diagnosis was early 2016 I think and there are a few things that led up to that point so the first thing that happened was had had a real trauma actually an, an emotional trauma and I think it's important to talk about it because people don't talk about mental health issues very often I had a, a a wonderful assistant and she did my teacher training and then she was my assistant and she was bright and brilliant and wonderful, wonderful teacher in her own right. And very, very quickly, she got depressed over a summer. So this is in 2013. And she very, very sadly, within a short period of time, she, she then took her own life. She took her own life. And I found that extremely traumatic. Mm. 
a lot, many of us in the yoga community in London knew her. She was a well-respected teacher and she was young, yeah. you know, she, she was, uh, just coming up to being 28 and she was bright and brilliant and had spent a lot of time after her teacher training. She'd spent so much time in India and she studied at um, Deskachar Center and she she was a, a, a brilliant yogi in many ways, but basically couldn't get around a dark spot. Hmm. And it came on pretty quickly for her. It possibly had been there before, but the downward spiral that we all know and probably recognize that because that downward spiral can be cyclical, right? We could feel that once a month or we could feel it every six months or we could feel it just in the winters. Mm -hmm. But the cycle seemed to go very quickly, very, very deep. And we were all, we were trying to drag her out of the hole basically. And it just, just went too far down the rabbit hole and, and she really, really, really like heartbreakingly, mm. she, she, she took her own life. And that experience for me was, it, it did actually send me into a quite a dark time in 2014. Mm. I'm definitely the type of person that is like, where is the light in this dark time? Where is the light in this mm. dark time? And so I thought, right, what I'm going to do is put this to use. I'm going to create a scholarship program so that in Martha's name, people can come and do the teacher training. They can change their life around, or even if it's just a, a yoga teacher who is running around teaching all hours and they're injured and what they really need is just some osteopathy or a massage or two weeks off that they could apply for a scholarship and I could basically have a pot of money that I can support my yoga teachers and yoga community with. Mm -hmm. So in 2014 when I was feeling desperately sad about Martha's passing away that um, I said right what can I do? So I was like I need to do something where people sponsor me. Mm -hmm. So I started running. So in 2014, I did my first half marathon. Wow. And from the money that was raised from that, I was able to put two people through the teacher training that year. Wow. On a, on a scholarship. And I was able to support people to come and do six classes of my weekly classes that I was teaching at that point. And I was able to support six people to do workshops that year who wouldn't have otherwise been able to come and take a weekend workshop. That's amazing, Claire. Thank you. I'm, I'm really proud of that. Mm. Basically, I thought, right, what's the next thing? Mm -hmm. So I did, in 2014, I did two half, no, three half marathons. And then I was like, well, what's the next thing? What scares me? that I can turn around. So the next thing I did was I learned how to swim because I actually couldn't swim. Now you'll get this, this reference because you and me are the same age. When I was seven years old, I watched Jaws. Uh -huh. Do you Jaws? Oh yeah. Did it traumatize you? Okay. So I was very, very uh, creatively sensitive as a child. And yeah. so I, I couldn't just watch movies and then not be affected by them. And I would watch movies and then be desperately affected by them for a very long time unfortunately I watched Jaws I lived in a little seaside town I grew up by the sea by the ocean I never swam again oh, from the no you poor thing <laughs> no, no, there were sharks and swimming pools apparently I never swam again and so I had to go back and learn how to swim when I was like in my early 40s. Wow, good for you though. Wow. And and I mean it was a real fear, you know, it's like desperate like physical fear of the water. So like literally like they say you never go in the never go in the ocean again once you watch once you watch jaws. So, but I did, I went, I, I learned how to swim and then I, gosh, hadn't, you know, ridden a bike. So then I learned how to ride a proper road bike. And then the next thing I did was I said I was going to learn how to swim in open water. Oh my gosh. So, you know, black water underneath, black like Carly, you can't see what is under the water and, 
but just like the metaphor of Carly, where she's like fearless and fearful and deals with your fear. Like I dealt with it. Like I certainly dealt with that. Hmm. And she was with me, like holding my hand under the, under the water, encouraging me to learn how to do this thing I was desperately afraid of. And then I started doing triathlons. So gosh, 2016-17, I think I did, I, I must have done eight triathlons, 10 Whoa. triathlons. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I have a lot of bling. I have a lot of those, uh, you know, at the end of a race, when you get your race thing, I'm obsessed with having my race bling now. Wow. So just to rewind back, because I think that's an important thing, is I think that really, really what happened was I had tried to turn something desperately sad around. And I really did. And I conquered a great deal of fear. And I pushed myself physically beyond what I'd ever, ever thought was possible. Like to finish an Olympic distance triathlon, which takes hours to finish is just you really yeah but it was exhilarating and amazing and I was doing this thing that I was just like how did I even know that these resources were inside of me this is on top of teaching full-time and being a mother to at that time like a four or five-year-old but I think that I just pushed myself a little bit too far I wanted money in the pot so that I could have this money for people to use but I what it did get to this tipping point where I was doing too much of that thing and I think my body just kind of said it was a harsh winter and end of 2015 beginning of 2016 I think my immune system just took a big dip in that winter and I was having these very strange hot and cold reactions on my hands and my elbows and my knees and my ankles. Like basically all the major joints of the body. Hmm. Hmm. And I was feeling absolutely brilliant. But I was this freezing cold and then burning hot sensations in the body. So I just sort of innocently went to the doctor and the doctor sort of said, I'm going to get you up and we're going to have this looked at. And then like to my absolute shock and surprise after they did, you know, just a simple blood test, they tested all my uh, immune function and my inflammation and basically it came back and they said, you, you, you have an autoimmune disease called lupus and you know, really once you're diagnosed, there's no undiagnosing it. I was really shocked and I had to really rethink everything. And uh, they offered me to take what is normally offered for these sort of autoimmune diseases as uh, like a a steroid-based medication, of which I said, not for me, Mm -hmm. maybe for other people, Mm -hmm. but me not for me I'm gonna I'm gonna try everything I'm gonna exhaust every avenue first and see how that goes so really in um, back then I started really learning because I dibbled and dabbled for for gosh 15-20 years with herbs and supplements and all sorts of of things like that, that I really know have helped my health along the year, years, through the years, have really helped my health overall. But I really threw myself into educating myself about that very deeply and really understanding it and really starting to tweak and really understand where my inflammation and my immune system was. So regular blood tests, which are where you can test all of your markers and you can test your inflammation, you can test your and what supplementation you need to be doing at certain moments. So for instance, in the winter in the UK where we're very depleted in vitamin D, I will really up that and then I'll do blood tests to see how that's all going. And mm-hmm. then I'll take mm-hmm. B12 for energy. Then I'll test that and it will go over what's required so I can then take that down. So now I do, essentially, I send my bloods off to, my, to labs, like self-funded to basically get all of that information. And then I sit and I go through each from the previous one and I will work out where the whole immune system is going and how it's working. And I'm still obviously doing my daily sadhana and my daily practice of yoga, um, which is for me non-negotiable. And 
tweaking my diet, I, I had to add in more, basically more fat. Mm-hmm. So adding in more fats into my diet. So definitely going back to having organic grass fed ghee and as many sort of vegan sources of fat that I could, but definitely ghee for me was like a huge game changer. Mm. And then really the next thing that has made a huge difference in that last two years is the adaptogenic herbs and really adding those into my diet and, and, and tweaking them based on how busy I am, whether I'm traveling, what I'm doing. So I have all these biohacks really that I'm doing now in my life for the last couple of years and gone really deep down into that rabbit hole. (laughs) And the last set of bloods that I had, the inflammation markers had completely changed and I was almost back to like, you know, what uh, in inverted commas a normal person would be. And, and essentially they had told me that that there's no way that that would change you. Once you have lupus, you will always just have systemic lupus and you will always have to be careful or you'll always have to be on some form of medication. Wow. After you met with that doctor and they told you that, did you then start doing all these hacks on your own? Or did you work with a naturopath or an Ayurvedic practitioner? What was your next step? So my next step after that was really just, and that's just, it's just really the way that I do it, which I just started reading and researching myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I wanted to understand was you, when you go and you have your bloods done, you know, an allopathic doctor will understand those bloods results. And they will just say to you, right, here are the highlights. Here's what you've got to know, essentially. So I was like, I want to understand every single thing on there, just like a doctor mm-hmm. understands. them. And so that's what I went around really learning was I, I learned what every single thing meant in my body, in my lifestyle, for my height, my weight, you know, the you know, the natural way that my body is, and then applied that information to what I knew about naturopathic medicine, about Ayurvedic medicine, and yoga, and pranayama, and breathing, and meditation, and so forth, so that I could really see it from a holistic perspective that was really about me. So I, di- I, I didn't actually work with any one individual Wow! Yeah. on that. I went in there and and did it myself, but there were definitely people along the way who their research and their interest and their writing has kind of like really deeply influenced me. Yeah. Just I've now honed it down to what I know really works and the herbs that really work and how to take them and how the body absorbs them. And again, I feel absolutely full of energy. I don't have many symptoms apart from just extremely cold hands and feet in the winter. So when you were first, when you were first diagnosed and you were having the hot and cold feelings in your joints, were, were your joints painful then? They, especially in the winter. Now, so I'm the type of person because I'm very butter. So right. I'm very, my joints are always clicky and I'm quite tiny and kind of slight and fast and, you know, like I'm just such a typical butter. Yeah. So basically just looking at how my body normally responded. So I normally wanted to be warm and I normally wanted to, you know, just, just kind of be indoors when it's cold and, you know, all that stuff that, that a natural Vata person will be. The main thing that I started to notice was just more clickiness than normal and that I would, my hands and feet would be like freezing cold, freezing cold to the point of just being, having excruciating pain and being unable to warm them up. And then when I did warm them up, my hands just swelling up and my joints swelling up. Mm. And then I had this really, the, the reason I initially went was just, I would just be sitting for instance on the computer and suddenly my ears and my head and my shoulders, wrists, elbows, fingers would just literally go bright red like someone had put a fire to them. And so more it was just freaky than anything. Yeah. So freezing cold and boiling hot were really the initial symptoms, which the hand, the freezing hands is called Raynoid syndrome. So it's just that you lose function of circulation in the 
extremities, the hands and the feet. Right. But essentially the other, you know, the other symptoms I was getting weren't really enough that it was making a big difference to daily life. Okay. But I did what I normally do, which is, okay, what is the, you know, in yoga, we have raga and devasha. So we have all the ways that we know we are, and we have an absolute, uh, uh, you know, aversion to certain things and all the ways that we know we are, and we are, have an absolute attraction to certain things. So I was attracted to being warm. I had an aversion to being cold. Do, do you know what I mean? So the way that, that we just say that about ourselves. Mm-hmm. So we just yeah. say, oh, I hate being cold. Oh, I love being warm. So I was like, you've got to deal with this. This has just come up in your life. Just like learning how to swim in open water when you can't see what's under there. It just, just like all the things that have happened that are our massive life lessons. Yeah. This is just, you've got to deal with this. You've got to deal with this aversion to being freezing cold. So I started, there's a method called Wim Hof method. Oh, I've heard of him. I've heard of him. I've thought about having him on the podcast. Oh, please do. <laughs> this is unbelievable. It's amazing. So I was like, okay, you have an aversion to cold you are going to start having a freezing shower every morning before my yoga practice. Wow. So that's what I do. I have a a time myself, a freezing cold shower. While I'm having my shower, I have a a Japanese body brush, vigorously brush my body from the soles of the feet upwards. So the cold shower isn't bad for you with the lupus. It's just, it's not bad or good. It's just neutral for your body. At the end of the day, I was like, well, they say with lupus, you can't go in the sun. Oh, right. That's right. That's right. But I was saying, but I love the sun. I'm I'm attracted to the sun. So for me, actually, the sun made my symptoms feel better. The sun didn't make my symptoms feel any worse. The sun made my symptoms feel better. So I was like, okay, Hata, you know, the sun and the moon, I'm going to start to work with the sun, I'm going to start to really work with the sun. And I'm going to start to really work with the water. Yeah, so Hmm. these, yeah. So the water is the freezing cold shower in the morning, making my hands and my feet be freezing cold. If it's snowing, like it snowed here a lot this winter, go outside in a bikini and lay down in the snow and literally rub the snow over your whole body. (laughs) Claire, you are so hardcore. That's amazing. (laughs) And then, but similarly, when in the sun, I have been massaging my body with beautiful botanical oils that are natural sunscreens, like red red, uh, raspberry is a natural sunscreen, Mm. rubbing my body in, in that not in traditional sunscreen, but what would be called natural sunscreens, and starting to get my skin and my body really, really infused with vitamin D. Mm. Now, for some reason, those two polar opposites, of which previously I sort of had a little bit of an aversion to like being very hot, because, you know, I have red hair, reddish skin, I get freckles, I burn easily. Yes. And then, an, a com- but yet is still an, a complete aversion to being cold. So I worked with those two massive aversions, like an aversion to being very hot right. and burning and my skin burning and an aversion to being freezing cold in snow. So I've worked with both of these. Basically, my immune system is so much more balanced. Interesting. So for instance, in the sun, not long in the sun, but no traditional sunscreen. Controversial, super controversial for a lot of people, but sunscreen that is botanical and natural. Jojoba oil, for instance, mixed in with some natural other botanical oils. And then sun exposure so that I really reap the benefits of the vitamin D and I'm not blocking the vitamin D into my body. Right. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, you do read that from time to time when that we're actually not getting enough vitamin D in part because we're so obsessed with sunscreen. <laughs> I worry about that yeah. with my daughter. Jason and I kind of go back and he's always like, did you put sunscreen on her? I'm like, give her 15 minutes in the sun. It's <laughs> totally. okay. 15 minutes is not going to kill her. You know, it's, it's, she's going to actually absorb it. Yeah, it's true. Now, so 
on that note, my daughter's school, and again, it, th- this could be going into very controversial territory here, but my daughter's school says, can you bring a hat and put sunscreen on them before school? And I'm like, actually, realistically, the time they're outside running around playing in the sun is probably no more than 15, 20 minutes. It's not. It's not. So she doesn't get it. She doesn't have the sunscreen because, because you know, we. I feel that they that where we are in the world, you know, if there's sun, thank goodness, there's a little bit of sun, we can get some vitamin D. We are so depleted in vitamin D. Vitamin D is essential to the immune system. Yeah, we are here too in San Francisco. And I will tell you that when I saw my oncologist after like all my surgeries and all my radiation, yeah, I have this super conservative oncologist. I started asking him about nutrition and he was like, he kind of waved me away like, oh, no, no. Talk to the nutritionist about that. I don't know anything about that. But the only thing I will tell you is take vitamin D. Really? Because it's really? just been so, it's it's been studied so rigorously as, like you said, as an anti-inflammatory. And, you know, we think inflammation is the basis for most disease now. So, yeah, I'm with you. It's important. Yeah. yeah. So those two things have really helped this kind of, you know, the raga and devasha, the push and the pull. Because if we, re- when I believe that when we really listen to that in terms of our health, and we're really brave with what the answers might be, good or bad, that we can bring ourselves, you know, back into this, you know, this place. Balance isn't the right word in a way because the push and pull of balance is always going to be at play. Mm -hmm. But to a place where there's some homeostasis, essentially, for a moment Mm -hmm. even. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But now I I have no symptoms. I have none of these, like, very, very, you know, none of those symptoms anymore. And I feel vibrantly alive. And the only thing I don't know about you is just it's hard to get life assurance once you've gone through one of those major diagnoses. Yes, 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 it is. Yes. So adaptogenic herbs, which you referenced, have been used in Ayurvedic medicine forever. And they're sort of coming into vogue, more mainstream circles these days. And they're basically just herbs that help your body cope with different stressors, right? Is that, that's, yeah, that's what I've always learned. So tell me what you've, you've figured out for yourself. So with the adaptogenic herbs, the aspect of them that I really love is that you can't, you can't, unlike other supplements or mainstream medicine, for instance, you can't actually overdose on adaptogenic herbs. For instance, with B12, if you take a B12 supplement, even if you're taking a small supplement for B12, which is good for producing energy, it's good for assimilation in the body. But it will very soon, if you were to have your blood work done, a B, even take a small amount of B12 supplement, your B12 will go off, off the chart. Hmm. Yeah, so it will look like you will have dangerously high levels of B12. When in fact, actually, you, you know, just even taking a supple- supplement of any form will go off the chart. But what I love about the adaptogenic herbs and from really trying them and trying different amounts and trying them you know, physically in my body and then charting the differences that I felt in my energy or my wellness or my immune function is just that you, you can't really have too much or too, too little of them. You're, the, the whole point of the word adaptogenic and plus that these herbs have been used for thousands of years um, is that they will just they will fit in with what, what your body needs. Hmm. They will begin to, to bring your body into the homeostasis point that it's actually looking for. So the only thing that you might be wasting if you take too much is, is money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I found a lot of the adaptogenic herbs that have been around for a long time. So for instance, ashwagandha is one of them. Reishi, uh, shishandra berry, and cordyceps, and these other mushroom, the mushroom-based herbs. Yeah, yeah. I, I found those to be very, very beneficial. And just really taking them on a daily basis and just working out, is this one better in, as, a, as a morning supplementation or is this one better in the evening? 
and taking those along with tweaks to my actual diet and what I'm taking in my, you know, taking in on a daily basis. Yes, it's been, it's been absolutely amazing. It's been brilliant. I love reishi, by the way. And I take, I'm really into the mushrooms as well. Um, yeah, I take chaga and, and Coriolis. And do you find when you say you, you, you're trying to figure out, you know, which one is better in the morning or in the evening, because you're a Vata type, you're, you're mm. inherently sensitive. So do you have like a fairly immediate response when you take them? Can you, do you notice and what, and what kinds of responses do you have to different, different herbs? So I found that for me, ashwagandha was better in the e- to have in the evening. So I do like in the morning the herbs that are really there to give you power and, and, and energy and uplift you. So if you think about what perhaps a, a coffee might do mm-hmm. for, for someone. So I love in the morning having you know, the herbs that kind of very uplifting. And then in the evening, I found that ashwagandha and rhodiola is another fantastic one to have in the evening, Mm. that those were better for me to take in the evening. So if I wasn't sleeping well, or I had a, you know, kind of sleepless night, then it could sometimes be right, I've, I, I may have had too much of those or, I, you know, I took them at the wrong time. So then I would just tweak it so that it was the next day. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you have any that you um, specifically have found to be helpful when you travel? So I have a whole like little travel deal going on, which I can talk to you about. I figured you would. <laughs> She's always prepared. Vata <laughs> type, always thinking. Yeah. Oh, Vata, yes, us Vatas. We're like very, very productive, but kind of exhausting to be around. Yes. Basically. Oh my gosh, <laughs> exhausting. I'm exhausting to myself. That's the issue. That's the main issue. When I'm um, traveling, I'm I'm always slightly high fiving myself because I don't suffer from jet lag. Oh, I just don't. Wow don't suffer from jet lag. I recently traveled from London to India, India for a little while, then onto Seoul to teach and then back to India. When I was in Seoul, I had, I I did have one night where I I was like, is this jet lag? (laughs) (laughs) Or did I just do too much too, you know, did I just take too much Hishu (laughs) Wu? Yeah, but very, very rarely will, will have jet lag. One, because I just stick to the same time schedule wherever I am, bed at nine o'clock, up at 4.30, mm-hmm. wherever you are, just stick to that. So when I'm traveling, chaga is fantastic. There's a, a herb called Eleutheru, which is very good for, uh, and my pronunciation, unlike my Sanskrit pronunciation, my pronunciation of some of the herbs may not be totally precise, just so you know. I know which may. one you're talking about, E-L- yeah. E-U-T-H-E-R-O. Mm-hmm. And that one is fantastic for morning. So that one in the morning, along with reishi and some of the other mushroom herbs uh, is fantastic. So shatavari is also a really good uh, adaptogenic herb that's has its roots in Ayurveda as oh, well. I don't know that one. I don't know that one. Yeah, that's that one's very balancing. So that's really a morning or evening one. So I'm getting into these nootropics as well. Have you heard of nootropics? No, I have not. <laughs> okay, so nootropics are essentially powders or formulas that put lots of the adaptogenic herbs together in a balanced manner and they are either for morning or evening. Huh. So you can get nootropics which which have some, especially in the UK, like some banned substances because they have too much an effect on the brain or they may have coffee and caffeine in them, crazy amounts. But you can get um, nootropics that are just herbal based, but they have a specific amount of, you know, well-balanced herbs. So they're basically cognitive enhancers. So, you know, you can take a certain... A mix of them in the morning and a certain mix of the evening, and they'll have an effect either on you know giving you some energy or allowing you to to rest well in the evening. Do you get them online? Did you find them online? 
You can buy them online, but I think you can buy them in most good health food shops as well. You know, you're obviously avoiding any of them that that have anything that would be synthetic. Mm-hmm. So no sort of synthetic stimulants or anything. You have to look for completely um, natural variations. Right. Of, I'll have to look into that. Those, yeah. I am also more careful now than I used to be about the sources of my herbs. Yeah. Yeah. And just, just being careful, um, just getting your herbs from a company where they're very transparent about where, where they source, because there can be mercury laced in, in certain herbs. Yeah. That's uh, something that I'm more careful about now than I used to be. Yeah. One more thing, when you were when you were talking about your morning routine, I remembered that you posted something once that, that looked like the most delicious morning drink <laughs> on the planet. And I'm wondering if you can remember it. And sh- I'm sure you change it up once in a while, but I'm wondering if you can remember it and share it with us. Was it was it recently on Instagram? Yeah, and it was like it was like I think it was like coconut milk, and you know, I feel like it might have been like a version of a turmeric latte, but with like mushroom powder and I don't know yeah okay I'll tell you I, I know shall I go through it yes please. <laughs> okay so the the other thing to remember is that with a, a lot of people are like oh but all those herbs cost so much money to buy now just like you said if you buy or I would really say invest in if you invest in really decent sources of these herbs they should last you you know and and you keep them well and you look after them and if they need to be refrigerated they're in the fridge and you look after them well on the shelf they should last you a really long time Mm -hmm. you know where you know for instance when you look on the back of a supplement bottle and it says serving size eight capsules (laughs) (laughs) okay now, one, you're not going to sit twice a day and glug down eight capsules of stuff. It's just like you might do it for a day and then you just go, oh, my gosh, it's way too much. I can't work. Yeah. The, the point is, is what I really look for is you look at what the label says. And if it says half a teaspoon, serving size, half a teaspoon, and then you look at the amount of either the milligrams or however the amount is, is worked out, so serving size one capsule, but you can see that it's got a huge amount of the herb in, or it's a really good source of the herb, then you're not, you know, you're not going to get through that in one month. Right. You're going to have half, half a teaspoon. It's going to taste okay. It's not going to be gross to drink. You're not going to despise drinking it after two days. And that's the other key is that actually it is a huge investment to buy the best quality, well-researched, well-sourced products that you can when it comes to anything that's not just your food, to be honest, uh, you know, all food and all supplementation and the water that you drink as well. Yeah. So for me, all of that is, is, is all in one, you know, like only, I would only drink water straight out of a tap if I, it, you know, it was a really desperate situation. <laughs> so the morning smoothie for energy and focus and to yeah, just really get, you know, the neurotransmitters going, get your metabolism going. You know, I feel that it creates a really good balance in my endocrine system because especially if you want to be active during the day and be a, you know, be a brain thinker, but also you need to run around. So I have this mix, I don't know about you, where I have to be mummy, calm, active, um, extremely productive. Yeah, extremely productive. Friendly, friendly, not a nutter. <laughs> not a nutter to be around. <laughs> Loving, uh, forgiving. Patient. Um, patience. Bubbly, kind, 
<laughs> like all in the space of about eight hours in a day. Yeah. So this morning smoothie just tends to kind of like, right, okay, I, I, I've got this. I haven't gone me- yeah, I haven't gone mental on coffee or like gone into a comatose state on, on like sugary stuff. So the base is almond milk, coconut milk. I put in coconut mana, which is like a really gorgeous, creamy coconut base. Is that like coconut butter or is it different from coconut butter? It's not as hard as coconut butter. It's taken from the, yeah, it's gorgeous. It's like, it's creamy, creamy, creamy. It's gorgeous. But you could just use coconut milk that you get in the pods or even if you needed to in a a tin. Tins aren't great, but if you needed to tin, it's, yeah, at least it's just one thing normally. It's just one thing. It just should just be, you know, coconut milk. And then to that, I add maca, M-A-C-A. Should we put, are we going to put all the names of stuff? Should we, should we make a little show notes thing? Sure, that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah, well, so we'll do that so that we don't, I don't need to go through and spell them. We can just maybe, we can write it up. And then I add to that maca. Now this is all about half a teaspoon to a teaspoon. So it's, it's, it doesn't make the smoothie really gloopy and powdery and kind of in the back of your mouth. You know that? Yeah, I do. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Which often for a lot of people is like, oh, I can't deal with smoothies. They're just too powdery and weird. Mm -hmm. Then I put in... Uh, protein powder. So the protein powder that I use is really, really simple. It just tends to have rice protein, rice bran extract, and a little sunflower oil. Like maximum of, I should say for protein powders, maximum of like four or five ingredients. Mm -hmm. If you look at the back of protein powder and it's got like so many ingredients that you just, and half of them, you don't really understand what they mean. I think it's just overcomplicating it. Mm-hmm. So but I just use a simple protein powder. And then in the morning, tocos, which is T-O-C-O-S, tocotrenols. And that's like a um, vitamin E, hmm. source of vitamin E. I also love to put in ground chia seeds and flax seeds because I'm really vata so I need that for absorption mm-hmm. or lethicin I sometimes use lethicin and that really helps with the absorption of oil into the body for the rest of the day as a vata for absorbing oils and using them for my joints and using them for the you know inflammation is is like so is very very important I found an excellent source of plant collagen so we'll we'll I'll tell you all about that for the show notes as well. So um, plant collagen is is has been fantastic, and then I use all the green adaptogens and something called Blue Magic, which is a fantastic source of spirulina. So all the spirulina and corella and all the greens and stuff are really anti-inflammatory, so they're great. I the love smoothie. spirulina. Yes, some people have a real aversion to the taste. For me, it's pretty mild and like I notice a change in my energy, my immune system, my clarity when I take it regularly. You're reminding me I need to go back on my spirulina. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) And this is an interesting one. So there's some people that can't have iodine, but I think you need to check for your own personal thing. But I put in nascent iodine drops, Hmm. just two or three, because most people like vitamin D, we are actually deficient in iodine. And and it's amazing for adrenal function and all sorts of of other functions in the body. And then I'll just bung in cinnamon, which is a natural adaptogenic herb that most people have in in their cupboards. Might put in some hishuwu, which is a fantastic herb. I find that helps my oxytocin levels. <laughs> hmm, nice. So oxytocin in terms of like, like, you know, just love yeah. and the love hormone and like just, but also just oxytocin in that kind of those levels in the body so that I just don't feel as like angry and gnarly if I'm waiting in a post office queue and the woman in front of me is taking forever. That's awesome. Yeah, my, I mean, literally just makes me more patient wow. and loving. Yeah. <laughs> it's a magic, magical herb. 
it's a magical herb. And then on top of that, if I feel a need, a little lift, just a couple of dates go in there and whiz it all together. And then it's, it's just quite thick and yummy. And I don't need like a big breakfast. So just now I don't, I just, if I rare, very rarely sit down and have like a, a breakfast on a plate. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I yeah. tend to just have that. And then five to eight, I'm out of the door on the school run and then into the day. So it is just wonderful. It's it's wonderful. And so you have it you have it cold. It's not heated, or is it? Yes. Heated? Okay. Well, this is the trick. I'm vata, so no ice cubes. Mm-hmm. And you know, I spoke about the chia and the flax seeds. Those don't buy them ground, pre-ground. Always grind them yourself. Hmm. So I put in a teaspoon or a tablespoon of each, grind them because they always are better absorbed when they've been freshly ground and then you immediately have them. That's right. So what I do is I grind those and then I tip them out into a separate bowl and I pour boiling water onto them and that speeds up their... They expand basically into the water and then I tip those into the smoothie. So when I drink a smoothie, it's ne- never freezing cold because it's so jarring on the, on the vata person. So most of my smoothies are um, basically room temperature or just a little bit warmer than room temperature. Oh, neat. That's, that's, I'm glad I asked that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so as a vata, I just, that, that experiment for me, was really helpful because it was just like those freezing cold smoothies where you have loads of ice in them. It's just, they, they just sat in my stomach and I found that I was way burpier throughout the day. Mm -hmm. Sorry. (laughs) But you know, I'd find that everything would be like slightly repeating on me if I, if I had it freezing cold, if it was warm, it just seemed to be absorbed like a, you know, almost like a nourishing kind of like smoothie soup into Mm -hmm. my body. And yeah, so I could waffle on about this literally <laughs> three hours. I could tell you. Oh, yeah, travel, travel, travel. Trifala uh, on travel. When I get on a plane, I put in my nostrils and my ears, I put nasia oil, which is like an Ayurvedic oil yeah. for the nose and the ears. I sit with a little thing around my neck that's helps to cleanse the air around you. It's an oxygenator. Oh yeah. Anna Forrest told me about that a long time ago. Do you just get it at like a gadget place or did you get it somewhere special? I got it on Shamazon. Okay. <laughs> I call it, it Shamazon. Uh, but if you can get them in all sorts of places. Yeah. And... I definitely find for those really long flights, for the 11, 10, 11 hour flights, I'm always a hive of activity in my seat mm-hmm. because I don't, I don't get that drowsy, funny, weird, drowsy thing, you know, that people get on flights. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they're always like, oh, you're a little hive of activity here. <laughs> and then if I need to sleep, I can, you know, just settle down and, and sleep on the overnight flights. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that and Trifala, which is an amazing herb, and that really helps, especially if you're vata. That just helps really keep you, you, you know, you cleansed and everything moving smoothly. I, I, I want to go back for a moment to the to the healthy fats. So when you were doing your research and you discovered that that would be beneficial for you, what kinds of of benefits for your specific condition do the, the healthy fats help with? I found that having those fats definitely helped with my absorption of everything else that I was was taking as a supplement. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah, so it was, one, it was the absorption. Two, it was, especially because, you know, lupus had an effect on the joints and the mood, it felt like the, the movement of prana around the body. I was like, how can I help the prana in my body. So, and then when I, I started taking more fats, so the fats I take, basically non-vegan fats are just, are essentially a heap of well-sourced organic, um, ghee. Mm-hmm. And I, I, t- I do have a lot of ghee throughout the day just to, I, I've just found that that makes such made such a difference and also to my skin as well, just mm-hmm. as a vata, I, t- I, I have naturally like very dry skin. And uh, noticed a big difference to my skin 
and um, oils. So sea buckthorn oil, I take that uh, mm-hmm. along. Yeah, so sea buckthorn thorn oil, I squeeze half an orange or half a fresh grapefruit. Uh, again, not cold, just room t- temperature. Just squeeze that. I put it in a little gl- shot glass and I put in a tablespoon or two tablespoons of flaxseed oil and sea buckthorn oil. Wow. And and I do that twice a day and I just knock that back. You know, just mid-morning or mid-afternoon, I just knock that back. And the effects are just it's almost instant, just this feeling of groundedness Mm. and also just the function, the digestive function. So not so kind of airy. And Mm -hmm. especially when I'm traveling, because, you know, when you travel a lot, it creates a lot of air in your system. So through traveling a lot, I just have a lot of air and a lot of airiness and a feeling of being ungrounded. So I just found that like those oils, just very, very super grounding. Yeah, pretty much those and taking MCT oil. So really good, well-sourced MCT oils. So that's, you know, the coconut oils along with um, so MCT oils and CBD oil. I don't know if you've heard CBD oil. So that's hemp oil. Yeah, I have. I actually can't take it with other stuff that I take. But yeah, I know I've heard great things about it. Yeah, so I did a you know a bit of an experiment, like taking that every day for a month and seeing what happened and then not taking it for a month and seeing if there was a shift. And then, so now I haven't taken it for a while. So I think it's one of those things that you can't take all the time. Like, right, every single day I do this. Like like with the flaxseed oil and the sea buckthorn oils and the oils that I massage into my skin, which are then absorbed into the body, like really beautiful Greek olive oil, for instance. I use, I massage that into my skin before I have my cold shower in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) It's a long, drawn-out process, the morning routine. Um, But with the CBD oil, I think it's one of those things where, you know, it's quite personal and just to see what happens and to get a really good, a good one. Yeah. So how... Why can't it work for you just out of interest? Um, I'm pretty sure. I just remember reading about it recently. I, I'm i pretty sure for some reason with taking tamoxifen, I'm not supposed to take it. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And I can't remember where I read that. I just remember thinking like, oh, okay, well, that one's off the table. Yeah. Um, yeah. It might have been on the on the breastcancer.org site, which I find pretty reliable. Are there any others out of interest that you can't take? I don't think I'm supposed to have grapefruit. Really? That's one that I remember. Grapefruit can interact with a lot of medications for some reason. I don't, you know, I don't know exactly why. That's all, that's all that I know. Yeah. Mm. That's, mm, that's interesting. That I know. Yeah. Yeah. I just want to circle back to asana for a moment. It sounds like there haven't, but have you had to make any changes in your, your asana practice with your diagnosis? Or is there a way that you feel like you rely on it more than maybe you were while you were training for all your races or, (laughs) and are you still running? Oh yes, yes, yeah, yeah. So I have, I have a half marathon later this year and I'm going to do one women only triathlon, not a long distance a sprint this year um so I still do all that yeah so I love I love it when I go over to LA because it means that the weather is quite reliable although in in the UK we're having quite nice weather this week but you just never know yeah so yeah so in a week I'll tend to do a couple of bike rides a couple of runs and a couple of swing swims very lucky with the place that I live because I live 10 seconds away from a pool that has no chlorine in it is, is oxygenated. Oh, wow. So that's that's a, a boon. But no, I still do all that, but probably not with the... I, I, I've definitely softened on myself not to force myself to feel that I have to achieve a certain time or to, like, if I don't do any training, to, like, berate myself or be really upset with myself. Mm-hmm wasn't doing it so I'm, I'm much easier on myself and I my motto is just do the race and finish with a smile on your face <laughs> that's good you know and yeah. and I feel that like if that's the attitude towards the whole of that part of my life then then that's 
that's wonderful. Right. So in in terms of asana, so I have to say, in the last three years, I think that my asana practice would have changed anyway, and become a lot softer. And I feel such a pull and need to meditate. And I'm really happily and very easily and joyfully, shall I say, revisiting some of the kundalini yoga kriyas. Now, I actually began with kundalini yoga 20 odd, 18, 20 years ago. I don't think with I Guru Mook. Yeah, with Guru Mook, like many, many moons ago. So even when I made, created my DVD, which was, gosh, 10, 11 years ago now, um, there's lots of yoga kriyas in my yoga DVD. So I've really, really enjoyed going back and revisiting revisiting the kriyas and actually finding that it's 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 helped in a lot of ways because unlike vinyasa where we tend to be quite attached to the amount of breath that you're going to hold something for so there's this idea one that you're holding something and then there's two that there's a time frame put within the amount of breaths that you're going to do and traditionally because of our lineage Perhaps that's ended up as like five breaths seems to be this magic number. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, so I wanted to get rid of that kind of that conditioning of five breaths for that that one side, five breaths, other side, five breaths, transition, one side, five breaths, other side. I was like, gosh, I really need to change that. And so I've just started dripping in some, I would have what looks like a vinyasa practice but then I will drop into three three-minute kriyas. So the kriyas require for me, just like when I do Iyengar yoga, which I love as well, and that's still massively part of my, my weekly practice, is three minutes, for instance, taking one of the kriyas requires so much focus and so much determination not to give up and so much just letting go. You just, you just say to yourself, I'm just going to do this for three minutes. And when a lot of them are with breath of fire, which I really enjoyed revisiting breath of fire. So it's not Kapalabhati Pranayama. Stephanie similar somewhere sits somewhere between Kapalabhati and Bastrika Pranayama but really similar to the Wim Hof method Hmm. that I so with the Wim Hof method you do a certain amount of breaths then you hold your breaths and then you will do something like push-ups or sit-ups but with your breath held for about 40 seconds yeah interesting so I really I've really enjoyed like dripping back into that part of my practice from really from many years ago and my body really so I'm one of those really strange people where my body really really enjoys and loves half lotus for instance whereas I know for a lot of people when you get to 45 that kind of it just has to naturally drop off a little bit Mm -hmm. all the half lotus stuff and all the like very deep twists and arm balances and stuff I've definitely backed off myself with this need for arm balancing mm-hmm. and where the whole yoga scene sort of went with like perfection in arm balancing and I, it doesn't come naturally to me at all it's like it's really that stuff is really tri- tricky although I can do it but I don't put myself under the same amount of pressure for it to be brilliant every day so it's more of a weekly flow or a monthly flow with that for me yeah yeah, but asana changes anyway. And some days my practice is just med- it's purely meditation. Sometimes I do my long, really long puja ceremonies and that's all my practice is for that day. Mm-hmm. And, and it's great and it's sustaining and it's just, you know, it's just I want this to go on for another 20 years. And yeah. I want my and I don't want to be so attached to my body that, you know, it uh, it just be- becomes this thing that I have a huge attachment to. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like, it sounds like your practice is, is serving you instead of you serving your practice right now, you know, instead of being enslaved to your practice. Yeah. for me. I think it's what I hope for everyone, because I think it is really easy to fall into 
just making it another item on our to-do list or making it another item on our accomplishments list or making it, and, and it can, it can just lose like the ability to revitalize us when it gets that way. For sure. And it's all for me of accepting my body and the way that my body changes as I get older. And like, I definitely have like a little tummy and that's probably always naturally been the way that it should be but I've tried you know I've tried to not have that but I have you know I have a cute little tummy and <laughs> I have no I have no waist basically I have like one inch between my lowest rib and the and my hips I have like <laughs> I basically have no waist whatsoever so if if basically if yeah if I'm taking all of these good fats in and all of that stuff then that might have another effect on you know that but it goes around my waist but I have to just accept that that's just the way that you change once you get into your forties and your metabolism changes and I'm with you. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's, 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 I can't be, I I am not 25 and I can't compete with that anymore. And it's, it's, and, oh, it's just so, you know, just every day, you know, the Dooney, the fire, the sacred fire, that, that when you light the flame of your candle on, on the puja table or just light, you light a candle and you look into the candle, you just have to basically swaha. It's like you throw into that fire, <laughs> into the duni, like all your learning and all your knowledge and all what you were and all that you're not, all that you're never going to be and all that you want to be that you realize you're just not going to be. And, and, in every day it's like this burning of that fire and that the duni should the duni like really should never really go out it should always have some ghee throw you know on it just mm-hmm. to keep it alive and that for me is it it's like over 40 it just the reality especially if you've had a child as a woman you know it's hard you the slim waist thing and all of that stuff it just is you know it goes it comes and it goes yeah it comes and it goes No, that was really beautiful and a good reminder for me. And yes, I'm with you in this dance of like, I mean, I think what's interesting is you said I'm not 25 and there are moments when I still feel like I'm 25, I'm 30. And then I meet a 25 or a 30 year old and I'm like, oh, I'm actually not. And, you know, and so, yes, I don't have that waistline anymore, but I also don't have all the angst (laughs) that I had at that point for me, myself. And so, yeah, it's just this constant dance. And I mean, the funny thing is like we are in midlife. We're not, you know, (laughs) so so it's like it's a good practice for now because we're just time if we're fortunate is just going to keep marching on. So. Yeah, for I, I'm with sure. You. you know what? And re- recently, I met people in their twenties, and they are—they're so spiritually evolved that I—I I just look. I—I've I, you know met them or talked to them or read, read stuff, and I just think, my goodness me, you—that is so amazing to be that evolved so lo- so young and to have been on that journey, you know, before the age of 25, like how, how blessed they are. But also I just realized that for me, like starting teaching yoga at 26 or 27 or whatever I was and finding yoga in my early twenties. And that that journey for me just took so much longer to find that equilibrium and that understanding of, you know, my spiritual, spiritual perspective on my life. And that the you know our bodies and if we are, are too attached to them and the things that they can do and can't do like I know that my body is absolutely effing amazing I made a child I, do you know what I mean mm-hmm. I, yeah I, grew, I you know I grew a child inside my body that was it was tough for me not there was not a lot of it that whole process that was easy for me at all. And I did it and she's beautiful and intelligent. And I think (laughs) that she's going to be one of those 25 year old girls that I meet that I just think, Oh my God, you're amazing. But I also have spoken to 25 year olds and I think to myself, I literally have underwear older than you. Much to my husband's upset, but they're my favorites. <laughs> I've known them a long time. <laughs> oh my gosh, Claire, I've never thought about that. 
Look out, babes. And I and I thank that underwear for being around for lo- so long because it will have I would have been through many journeys and learnt many lessons in that time and that's the only way you end you end up here at forty five like accepting yourself and and your wellness and your unwellness and your injuries and the moments that your body is working brilliantly right and our parents and watching them go through stuff and having the opportunity to be there for them. And for all our teachers that arrive as elders and arrive as our young kids teaching us lessons, like, mm. like all of that is beauty. All of that's wellness. All of that is an adaptogenic herb. It's teaching us how to adapt. Do you know what I mean? And, so true. So true. And that's yoga. So that's yoga. So the asana is like, for me, the asana is becoming just like, so this one of the smallest aspects of the wheels in this huge cog. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Claire. It was great. Very, really inspiring to talk to you and I'm glad you're doing so well. Oh, it's always a pleasure. And yoga land is phenomenal out there and I love it. And it makes, I go on my runs and I listen to yoga land. Did you know that? No. Yay. Oh, that makes me so happy. Oh yeah, I go out on my runs and I'm running along and like normally I have a I'm I'm either crying or I'm <laughs> laughing or you know you two you you have Jason you have I don't know if you obviously know it but you have on and off screen like on and off screen or off on and off sound you have you guys have such an amazing spark together yeah so he just taught he just says hi and I'm like. He's saying hi to somebody that he loves so oh. much, <laughs> and you it, and it's and it's beautiful. I love running and listening to it, and I time my runs. So I'll I'll see how long the podcast is this week on the on Yoga Land, and I'll be like, right, well, I've got to do a forty-five minute run today. Oh or- my gosh, I'm so I'm so honored, Claire. That means so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's wonderful, and I'm and I'm so grateful that uh, that you asked me to be back on on this to waffle on about stuff that I feel enthusiastic about and that I hope in some way that it can help or enthuse someone else out there who may be having you know an issue or a hard time and and that there is always an answer and always a way I think that I'm so with you it's like tap into your resources they're out there so yeah yeah for real yeah all right hun lots of love okay lots of love As always, you can find show notes for this episode at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 116. If you have not joined our newsletter list, please do so. I am planning to release some of my own new content in the next few months on just different platforms. So if you want to be the first to know, just go to our homepage, jasonyoga.com, and you can subscribe to our newsletter there. Okay, until next week, enjoy your practice. Qué bueno es decir sin hablar nada. Qué bueno es compartir una jornada helada. Te extraño y ahora sé quién eres. Qué suerte ser a quien tú quieres. Me siento afortunada entre todas las mujeres. Te quiero y quiero que te quieras. Y sé que quieres tardes armoniosas, canciones pegajosas, disfrutar muchas muchas cosas. Fue distinta, fue como el que la sigue la consigue. De pronto a tu casa yo me vine sin siquiera antes.